We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned, we're kind of continuing working our way through this sermon series entitled, Let's Go. Uh, the, the point of this whole series and the accompanying Bible studies kind of through the week is um, if we want to share, like Peter says today, the hope that we have, if we want to share Christ with our community, I think it's important for us as believers to step back and say, okay, um, how do we do that? Right? How do we share what is most important to us with a world that at times wants nothing to do with Christ? And so that's what we're doing as we're walking through. Uh, last week you heard, uh, we, we had a sermon from the book of James and we talked about the importance of listening, right? How important that is to be a good listener as a believer, uh, as just a person, actually. Uh, today we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We'll kind of drill down a little bit uh, more deeply into that. But the importance of, for good communication, to not only listen, but also um, to be able to speak. And so our theme today is if we want to be prepared, we're going to have to do both of those things. Both listen uh, in order to understand, but then also be able to share the hope that we have. And so Peter's going to kind of walk us through that. Uh, at times I wonder if we maybe uh, underestimate how important communicating accurately is. And I say that because uh, in, in many avenues of our life, and, and if, well, if you're like me, I tend to talk too much, right? Uh, and and I, t I tend to talk too much and listen too little. And so you, you, you say lots and lots of words and maybe answering problems or objections or hurts that aren't even present. So communication requires both of those things. It starts with good listening if you actually want to answer the questions that people are speaking. Communication is important to us. This is my great uncle Elmer, uh, Elmer Schumacher. Uh, he was born in Exonia, Wisconsin. Uh, he was a soldier. He was ended up eventually was a sergeant in the U.S. Army during World War II. So this was, I would guess, this was probably his uh, his his military dress as he was leaving for World War II. Uh, uncle Elmer, or great uncle Elmer, great grandpa Uncle Elmer. Um, um, fought in World War II, primarily in Italy. They don't tell you exactly where that was, but um, in, the, in the, the region of Italy, at least on that front. And we don't know tons and tons about Uncle Elmer, but we've gotten some stories from uh, my grandma and her sister and the family that have kind of filtered down. And so we knew a little bit about him, but we received uh, um, some like scrapbooks and things after my grandma died. And as we were going through those scrapbooks, we found this. So you can, I scanned it in for us here today. Uh, um, it's, it's a citation for Uncle Elmer for some actions that he took in World War II. So we were told that Uncle Elmer received the Silver Star. So I'm not a military guy. I, don't, I had to look some of this stuff up. S Silver Star is the third highest commendation you can get within the military. So um, I don't think it's, it's, it's not rare, rare, but um, it's, it's not completely uncommon as well. So he received the Silver Star for gallantry 
in action. And I think as a young man or when I was hearing that, um, your mind maybe goes to kind of sensationalize things that happen. You say, well, um, he must have stormed a bunker. He must have uh, um, stormed a beach. He must have put himself in front of a fellow soldier. But we received this citation description and we realized that it was something different. So I don't know how well you can read it there, but I'm going to pick out just one line from his citation for his silver star. It says this, uh, The communication line between the observation post and the artillery bat- battery had been blown out. An off- officer of the infantry who was attempting to repair the line called for assistance. Technician grade 5 Schumacher, a battalion clerk, assisted in finding the telephone line from the observation post to the artillery battery. With utter disregard for his own life, he followed the line for approximately 400 yards, repairing it with his hands and reestablishing wire communications with the artillery battery, thereby enabling the artillery to resume firing on the enemy. Okay. This is why he received the Silver Star. So, maybe not the first thing you think of when you think about gallantry in action. What did he do? He restored communication, right? He fixed a telephone line and received the Silver Star for gallantry in action. And yet, think of how important that was. In fact, Think of maybe stepping in front of a fellow soldier and taking uh, a bullet for them, right? Or shrapnel for them. You save that life. What Uncle Elmer was able to do by reestablishing communication, at least according to this, probably saved lots of lives. In fact, may have saved their whole platoon, right? I think here's the beautiful thing about this. I think quite often maybe we underestimate the importance of clear communication, especially when sharing Christ with people who need to hear it. Today, that's what we want to look at. How important it is for us to listen, to understand, in order to be prepared to share the message and the hope that we have in Christ. And So that's what we want to look at today. The Apostle Peter is going to be our text. You're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Uh, I'll reference some of these verses, and um, of course you have it in your bulletin. There's a small section for notes. If you're, if you're a doodler and you like to write stuff down, you're welcome to do that. Uh, otherwise, the, the text is going to be on the screen behind me here as well. So, uh, so our selection today from 1 Peter. Um, this is kind of the, the path that we're going to go. So those of you that like to know the roadmap of where I'm heading in my sermon, I told you I... Unless I go off the roadmap, sometimes happens. Uh, Generally, this is where we're going to go. When we talk about wanting to be prepared as Christians to share the hope that we have, um, we're going to look at two different areas from our text. Uh, Number one, we need to actually care. Okay, We actually need to care. Number two, uh, we need to make a connection for communication to happen. So those are kind of the two points that that we're going to look at. So um, our text today is written by the Apostle Peter. Um, this is not an actual photo. This is a painting of, of the Apostle Peter. Um, but it's an interesting text because First Peter was written um, to a specific group of people that had undergone incredible amounts of suffering. In fact, in our short clip of our sermon text today, you can hear Peter referencing that. 
He talks about suffering and suffering for doing good rather than suffering for doing evil. I'm going to boil it down a little bit, uh, what Peter is kind of conveying within this book at large. He's saying to those believers in front of him who were literally suffering every single day because of their faith in Christ, what he is saying to them is, in this world, you're going to suffer, suffer regardless. Everyone is broken just in different ways. Everyone suffers just in different ways, right? And so what Peter says to those Christians and he says to us is, if you are going to suffer, and you are, because you cannot exist in this world without suffering, without loss of family members, pain, disease, loss of work, all these things that kind of come into our life. Peter is making the argument, if you're going to suffer anyway, then suffer for Christ, and Christ ultimately can save. Suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. Now, that was not a, uh, a light comment, I think, from Peter to the people in front of him. I mentioned we all suffer just in different ways. We're all broken just in different ways. Those early first century Christians would suffer um, intimately for their faith. Peter included History tells us that he was crucified upside down. So, because of his faith in Christ. Um, Almost all of the apostles were martyred, were put to death for their faith in Christ. Those early Christians often lost their lives for faith in Christ. They lost their jobs, they lost families, they lost loved ones, they lost friends. And so when Peter says... You're going to suffer, but God's going to use that suffering ultimately for the good of other people. That's not a lighthearted comment that he's making to the people in front of them. I don't think Peter had a uh, sanctuary or a church like this, but think of him saying these words that we read this morning to friends and loved ones in front of him. Think of him saying these words to the people in front of him when he knew that you lost your mom because she was a believer in Christ, that you lost your job because you were a believer in Christ, that you lost your kids or your grandkids because you were a believer in Christ. That's the impact of who Peter is preaching to. And yet, he sees fit to say, all that pales in comparison to be able to accurately communicate the hope that we have in Christ. Here's the reality. It's because Peter, it's because the people Peter was speaking to, and you and I, we, weren't, we don't live our lives just for this earth, but ultimately we are being prepared for eternity. When you think of the end result, then we're able to think, how can we accurately, how can we clearly, how can we compassionately Share that hope with the people around us. Okay. Peter did that. <clears throat> the people that he was speaking to did that. And you are proof of that because arguably we would not be here if generations of Christians had not suffered but also been prepared to share the hope that they had. So guess what? We get to do the same. Okay. Let's jump into our text. Uh, We're going to look at verse 8, and then we'll jump 
to uh, verse 8 and 9, and then we'll jump to verse 15. So you're welcome to follow along with me on the screen. It says this, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And verse 15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I would argue in some sense this verse 15 becomes kind of our pivot point in this text and, and that which everything else kind of flows from, right? He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That word revere is deep and rich with meaning and has incredible amounts of, of impact on us as believers. And I think when we first read it, or maybe when you heard me speak it, um, we almost on some, on some level kind of pass over that, that word revere. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear, hear the word revere, but um, maybe, maybe it's, it's this idea of, of, of just honoring something or, or something kind of, kind of being over there, but there's rich, deep meaning in what Peter is saying to us. So he is saying to those Christians and to us that we have to revere, we ought to revere Christ the Lord. Um, the Greek word that we're using there is hagiadzo, um, which means revere, and these are the, the kind of definitions of that. So to set apart, to consecrate, to make holy. So think that through in your mind just a little bit. Do we always set apart, consecrate, and make holy Jesus Christ? Do we set apart, do we consecrate, do we make holy our God above? It's a good question, and all of you are saying yes because you're sitting in a church and a pastor just asked you. So you're like, we should say yes, right? We should say yes. And on some level, our hearts want to say yes. But I would also guess, if you're anything like me, that um, what our hearts want to do and what we are willing and able and desirous of saying on a Sunday morning when we are surrounded by, by friends and family and other Christians um, becomes a lot harder in practice as we go out into our lives. As you go back to work on Monday morning, right? Revere, setting apart, making God's name holy and Christ holy is a whole nother, nother ball game. Now, keep in mind, it gets even harder when we're talking about suffering, which is what Peter was attaching this to. Right? He's saying, make God's name holy, revere God, even in the face of injustice, pain, and suffering. And that's hard to do. Because there are a myriad of things in your life that will battle for your attention. There are a myriad of things in your life that want to be that. Okay? The only desire of them, and some of them are quite good things, some of them are we would call blessings, right? But ultimately, Satan's temptation and even our own hearts tempt us to take those good things and make them ultimate things. Revere them, consecrate them, set them apart. Okay? Think through in your mind a little bit. Things in your life, 
people in your life, situations, maybe it's a job, maybe it's family, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your financial health. Think through things in your life that you could not do without. Let me state that again, that you would not want to be without. That if somebody threatened that thing or that person, you'd have words. Eh? I think those are the questions we have to ask ourselves when we talk about and when Peter urges us to set, about, set apart Christ as holy. Ultimately, this is just an Old Testament problem that believers from the beginning of our world until now have struggled with. We call that idolatry, don't we? And whatever you are tempted to put in that place ultimately is what you revere, what you consecrate, and what you make holy. Now, let me make this even more plain. I mentioned this first part. We want to just talk about do we actually care enough to be prepared to share our message. The opening question is, do we care enough about our God to actually be prepared to share a message? And it comes back to this. What do we revere? What do we set apart? What is a non-negotiable in our life? Peter is saying, if it's anything other than Christ, it will not love you, it will not help you, it will not save you, and ultimately, it will not die for you. Right? There are things that we love. Family, the, 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 the joy of having a career, um, the blessing of finances to be able to support the people we love. Like All of these things are good things, but none of them will lay down their life for you. But Christ has, and he does. In fact, what we know is that all of these earthly things at some point or another will go away. But what remains? Ultimately, Christ. Right? So, we talk about being prepared. We've got to actually care. And the number one thing we ought to care about is our God above. Care enough to set... Christ aside to consecrate and make him holy, okay? So that's the very first one. Second one, though, from verse 8 is, uh, I would argue, flows from the first. Our care for God ultimately flows into this. Peter says, love one another, be compassionate and humble, okay? Do you care for and do you love people? This is another trick question. Anytime pastor asks you questions, you say, he's tricking me, right? He's tricking me. Um, it's an interesting question. So uh, I had and was able to train uh, six uh, pastoral assistants. We call them vicars in my ministry. And uh, these young men would come to me and they were, let's see, pastoral assistant year. Intern year was 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds, somewhere in there. By the time they got to me, they had a Bachelor of Liberal Arts. They had done two years of graduate school. Eventually, they'd, be, they'd get a Master's of Divinity. So the third year of graduate school was a, a practicum or a, an internship out with a pastor. So um, when they came to me, every single one of them could write a, a heck of a sermon, right? Just wonderful sermon writers. Knew the biblical languages inside and out, Greek and Hebrew, um, fantastic. Um, and I would argue on some level were really good at being students, 
some better than others, but to get to that point, they had gone through extensive education, higher education. They had proved that they were hard workers, um, that they, were, they had the intellect to be able to do this, to be able to learn the languages. Like They had the, 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 the skills, the God-given skills to be able to do these things, and they had been good enough at it to pass to that point and for the seminary to say, now we're going to send you out right, to a pastor. They had done all that. Um, every time I got a new vicar, uh, our very opening meeting, we would sit down and talk for a, a couple hours, just talk about what we were going to accomplish during that year. But the very first thing I asked them, I said, um, um, do you love people? Okay. Now, they've been through a lot of higher education at this point, and the seminary sent them to me. So they were probably like, what is he asking me? Like, they, well, they probably thought I was tricking them too, which I kind of was a little bit. They, I said, do you, do you love people? And they'd look at me like quizzically. And, um, but it was an honest question, and it's the first question I needed them to answer for me because they had become really good at academics. Um, they had really learned to excel within that sphere, right? Um, and they were bright, and they were capable, and they had all these skills. But if they couldn't take any of those skills actual people, then none of it mattered. And if they didn't actually love people, I told them flat out, you're in the wrong business. Because ministry, being a pastor, is a people profession. And certainly there's skills and there's things that need to be done, that we, that we need to have. But at the end of the day, it's to bring God's word to God's People. And if you don't really like people, you're in the wrong line of business. You shouldn't be a pastor. All of them became pastors. All those young men loved people. But what was my point? My point was you actually have to care right, about real living people. And that's a double-edged sword. Because academics and books and writing papers is very neat and tidy. You know what people are? Yeah, I know. Does someone say nasty? Yeah. Yeah. Um, messy. Messy's a better one. Yeah. And, and we know that because we are. Because sometimes we are nasty. Sometimes, most of the time, we are messy. Because that's the reality of people, of God's people, right? And so what Peter's talking about here is communicating to one another and to the people in our lives with compassion and with humility. And that will necessarily be messy. But Peter says it's absolutely essential for us as believers, if we want any hope of sharing Christ with our world, we have to care about our God more than anything else and care about the people that he has brought into our lives, no matter how messy they might be, including us. Okay? Coming out of the pandemic, if, do you care about people? Does this photo make you a little anxious? Like, oh man, did people used to stand like that? That just seems, right? Okay, here's another photo. We can care about people. Maybe it's in big crowds, but maybe it's one-on-one. Peter wants us to share, to be with, to listen, be compassionate, and to be humble. Okay? Number one, we want to be prepared as believers. We've got to care. So 
Let's go on. We're going to look at uh, verse 15 and 16. I'll read that for you here. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why do you think Peter had to bring that up twice? Probably because they didn't always react with gentleness and respect. Why do you think we need to hear it more than once? Probably for the same reason, right? So Peter circles back around to it, right? Uh, I'll do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So he's saying, um, let how you treat people reflect not only who you are, but ultimately who your God is above, okay? Um, and so he kind of does this in three different ways. Number one, I would argue that he is trying to build lines of communication um, and opportunities. And the first is with trust, okay? So with gentleness and respect. We have some educators in our congregation, teachers, right? Maybe those that are in positions of administration. One of the most important things that a teacher must do within their classroom is create a safe environment for someone to learn, right? In fact, we can make the argument that no uh, communication, no teaching can happen unless students on some level trust the teacher that is before them and they feel that they're in an environment that's going to be supportive of them, okay? Before anything can be shared. We're not talking math, we're not talking science, we're not, nothing about the content or the academics of it. If the classroom, if the environment is not a place where there is trust, where there is gentleness and respect, no learning will happen. What's true in a classroom is true for your relationships with uh, those that are lost without Christ in your world. What's true in a classroom is true for your marriage, for your families, for your neighbors, and in general for our community. So that's what Peter talks about here. He says if you want to be prepared, you need to go out with gentleness and respect, earning the trust of those in your life, right? Earning the opportunity to maybe be able to share with them what is most important to you, okay? So if we want connection, there's got to be trust, okay? Next one, to everyone who asks. This is interesting, right? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. So who's asking the questions? In this case, it's actually those that are unbelievers, right? Those that do not know who Christ is. They're asking questions. How does that happen? It happens when believers like you listen more than you talk and treat people with gentleness and respect. I guarantee it will. When you approach those in your life with that attitude, asking more questions than you speak, do not be surprised that they ask questions. Why do you choose to spend a couple hours of your time on a Sunday morning in a church building rather than climbing Long's Peak, right? Or up in the mountains, right? My marriage is struggling. Can you help me? What have you found? What have you learned in yours? 
The burden of work is almost too much for me. How do you move through your daily life, right, with still a smile on your face and consistently treating the people around you with gentleness and respect? All of that happens, those questions are brought when we listen first and we treat with gentleness and respect. So don't be surprised that people ask you questions. Last point here, at some point we get to speak, right? We get to speak. And what does Peter say? Give the reason for the hope that you have. Now do you notice that this is not a seminary level class? Peter simply says, when you treat people like that, when you listen more than you speak, they will ask questions. And when they do, give them the reason for the hope that you have. The better you know the pages of Scripture, great, right? If you, if you have a mind that can lock in Bible passages and memorize in that way, hallelujah, right? But if that's not who you are or where you're at, you absolutely can give the reason for the hope that you have. You can share Christ with those who are asking questions. The love that you know, the sacrifice he made, forgiveness of sins, and ultimately your eternal destination. And that word hope, I always argue in our English language, gets diluted so much. Right? I hope that my 1998 pickup is going to get me home today. There have been days that it hasn't. There have been days when my 98 pickup didn't get Eric home because the gas gauge is broken and I forgot to tell him and they ran out of gas. Nick was involved in that one too. You can hope that pastor's truck's going to get you home. It has let both of you down before. Okay? That's different than what Peter's talking about here. Hope is only good, as good as the object in which we place our hope. Your hope is placed in Jesus Christ. Death, resurrection, and eternity. That's what we get to be prepared to share with the people in our lives. Lastly, why does it matter? Uh, this is kind of hard to see. It was really hard. I couldn't actually get it out of the frame to scan. Um, my Uncle Elmer, who received that silver star for um, repairing communication, right, saved lives by communication, uh, ended up dying in World War II about three years later. This was the letter that was sent uh, to his family. You can see that it's signed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt at the bottom. I want to read just one line from it. It says this about Uncle Elmer. He stands in the unbroken line of patriots who have dared to die that freedom might live and grow and increase its blessing. Freedom lives and through it he lives in a way that humbles the undertakings of most men. The point of the letter was that his death was not in vain, his suffering was not in vain, that it advanced the cause of freedom. Truth is, brothers and sisters, when we are prepared to answer, when we care enough to listen and we watch for connections and opportunities to share the hope we have, it connects you to the long, broken line, unbroken line of believers that stretches all the way back to Jesus Christ. You're here because believers 2,000 years ago 
felt that it was important for them to be prepared to share the hope that they had. We get to be a part of that as well. And we get to share freedom and a hope that's far greater than any earthly freedom, but ultimately it's freedom in Christ. So as you go into your work week, to be prepared, let's care, let's watch for those connections, and ultimately share the hope that you have.